Welcome to episode 7 of You Shall Not Pass Go. We are your hosts, Dave and Jengiz, and we are hosted on geekaid.com. What's your geek? Hey, buddy. Hey, man. How you doing? Good. Okay. How you doing? I'm good. Right. <laughs> uh, start off right away. Magic. Magic, Magic the Gathering. Indeed. Um, from the Vault Lore. Yes. Just came out uh, at the time of this recording about a week ago. Indeed. Uh, from the Vault Lore is... You know the another of the from the vault series where Wizards of the Coast graces us by reprinting some of the more rarer cards of sets. Well, that's what they say, <laughs> but this time around, I don't know. I think uh, they dropped the ball. Yeah, this is a weird one. Yeah, uh, so this time around in from the vault, uh, we're looking at starting off with Beseech the Queen, mm-hmm. which I mean, it's just another search. Okay. Is this like the search from the vault or like the fix from the vault? I don't know what the theme is outside because of it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be lore. Yeah. From the vault lore brings to you a collection of 15 memorable cards and one token from throughout Magic's history, <laughs> showcasing some of the most exciting moments to ever occur in the multiverse. Now... You can see all of those moments and the gorgeous art depicting them like never before in special from the vault exclusive premium foil. <laughs> yeah, that's the wizard's uh, little, little little tag. Um, anyway, I mean, a majority of them are search cards. Um, they're all supposed to be, like I said, about the lore. But I'll be yeah. honest, we have Beseech the Queen, which I'm like, meh. Yeah. Cabal Ritual, which, okay. Yeah, it's, it, it's you know. It had its its time. Mm-hmm. But even then I'm looking at it and I'm like, meh. No, no, no. Conflux, which I'm just like, why is this card even allowed to be reprinted? <laughs> because it's the Conflux. Remember the Conflux? I do. I owned the Conflux. Mm-hmm. Conflux was one of those rare pull boxes. I remember I, in my box of Conflux, I pulled a Nickel Bolus oh. and a Hollow Nickel Bolus. Like, I do remember that. And I remember you... just being like, this is great. And now Nickel Bolus is worth like nothing. Yeah. So not so great anymore. And I don't wow. use them, I don't think, in any deck. Um, but anyway, Conflux... Uh, which, for those of you that don't know why we're bashing it, it costs one of every color and three other mana. And you search your library for one. one of each color card, reveal them, and put them into your hand. So you get five cards for eight mana and a lot of fixing. Which I'm just like, I would, I, I just if, don't, if I don't play. If you're playing it. a five card color deck, I guess that's cool. Maybe, but if you're playing five card color, you would just take the cheaper. I mean, you could get Planeswalkers. Demonic Tutor, Vampiric Tutor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you what if you're just... playing, like, Super Friends? Still, Demonic Tutor, Vampiric Tutor, Diabolic Tutor, all of them cost less than get you to any card you want. That's true. So, anyway. This is a foil. Oh. <laughs> Dark Depths. Now, here's one card that... This is... This is one of two cards in the From the Vault lore that I think are the only two cards where I was just like, that's a card that people might want. Yeah. Um, um, Dark Depths, for those of you that don't know, is a legendary Snowland. Um, it comes on the battlefield with 10 ice counters on it. You can tap 3 mana to remove an ice counter from it. And once it has no ice counters, you sacrifice it. And if you do, you put a legendary 2020 Black Avatar creature token with flying and indestructible named Merit La- Lage? 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 Uh. onto the battlefield. And also, I believe this is the first time that the token for that has ever been printed. Indeed, and because tokens really weren't a thing back in the day. No. <laughs> so, the token and the land itself, Dark Depths saw a lot of burst play after 
Zendikar, I believe it was, when Vampire Hex Mage was printed. Oh my god. Hex Vampire Hex Mage. Up until that point, Dark Depths was maybe a $2 card. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Um, because taking that long to get counters off, it just never yeah. seemed worth it. Vampire Hex Mage comes out and says, sacrifice Vampire Hex Mage to remove all counters from target permanent. Yeah. And people go, oh, hey, remember that land that <laughs> hey. becomes a 2020 <laughs> indestructible flying creature? Remember Dark? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yo, these things kind of work well together. Almost like wizards do they factor that in. Like they didn't think too much. They were like, let's just print a card. Yeah, counters are a thing in this set. Zendikar had a lot of counters. They which, did. You know, a lot of... And I also believe that the whole reason behind Hex Mage also was a... She was a great Planeswalker killer, too. Yeah. At that time, Super Friends was ultra heavy. Elspeth mm-hmm. had, like, come out. And there was a lot of, like, Super Friends Planeswalkers going on. And Hex Mage was a way to be like, hey, I'm playing Black. I'm playing Kill. I need to get rid of a Planeswalker. That's Sack right. Hex Mage. Your loyalty counters are gone. Exactly. Your Gets rid of that gone. early advantage and like, boom, you're back to a kind of square one kind of thing. Especially in like a standard format or like a limited format. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, Dark, Dark Depths is definitely a, uh, one of the... A nice one. It's a nice one. Back to the crap. <laughs> Glissa the Traitor. Well, some people might have wanted Glissa for their EDH deck. Yeah, but I mean, how much it's does... a fairly decent... How uh, much does a regular Glissa cost? And the thing yeah, is... Yeah, it's not really that expensive of a card. I'm not sure the art is even alternate. It nope. looks the same it's to me. It's the same exact art. And that's the other thing. Like, a lot of these cards that they print, if they're not great, I think a good selling point would be alternate art. Yeah, I don't know why they don't just go... I mean, it's not even like a lot of cards in these from the vault sets. It's not. So and why don't they that would be like... a great selling point for the crap cards. It's like, that's a crap card. It's like, yeah, but it's a really nice looking crap card. Oh, look card. at that. You never had art for this crap card before, collectors. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, this is the glisten that everyone has and doesn't want. And then the next card is uh, Hell Vault, our favorite from the... Uh, the uh, oh my God. Burp. Shadows over Innistrad. That's right, Dave. <laughs> um, or was it first Innistrad? It was one of the Innistrads. It was, I think it was Shadows. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but this is, you know, I understand why they put this I in. I think it was original Innistrad. Yeah. Because uh, that's when Avacyn was created. Right. In conjunction with the Hellfall. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand why they put this in. This is kind of like their their centerpiece of the that set, that universe. Uh, and it's decent, you know. It's a... Uh, it's got some decent abilities. Once again, dice to removal. Still but not mean, sure it's worth the price point. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I, I see where they're going with it at least. Um, Memnark. Memnark. <laughs> which, I mean, if you don't have a Memnark, here's a great way to get one. Yeah. But you could also just buy a Memnark. Um, it's a foil Memnark. It is. It's I don't f- know why they didn't put alternate art on this one either. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> it's like. Memnark is a memorable card that oh, yeah. at least deserves another art. Like uh, What Memnark does is he's an artifact creature. He costs seven, but if you're playing artifacts, I yeah, mean, getting yeah. seven generic mana is like nothing. Infinity or anything like that. Yeah, forget about it. Um, even Urzatron or you know, yeah. whatever. Um, but it's a four or five creature, but that's not what makes it worthwhile. What makes it worthwhile is that it has two abilities. The first one, you tap two blue and a generic mana and target permanent becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. So you can make things artifacts that are not already artifacts. Secondly, though, its second ability is to tap one blue and three generic to gain control of target artifact. So if there's a creature on the field that you want, or there's a permanent on the field that you want, and it's not currently an artifact, you can use his abilities to change it to an artifact, then immediately take it. 
Um, and it's not a take until Memnarch dies. It's not a take until, you know, end of turn. It is just, it's, it becomes yours. yours as long <laughs> as it's on your field. You know, if it gets bounced, obviously, yeah. we go back to its uh, owner. But Memnarch, once again, while a pretty the, good card, I'm not sure. I'm not excited about it. It's one of those cards to turn your, your opponent's, like, heavy things into artifacts and then take them. Right. And, like, you know. It's good. I mean, it's it's like it's another one of those memorable cards. Definitely. Um, next card is Mind's Desire, um, which I don't even know. Like, I guess you know they had a, they have little story snippets in this like uh, this article of it, but like this is. I mean, the one thing like, about Mind's Desire that I like here is that this is new art. This eh, is new art true. for Mind's Desire. It's a really nice looking Mind's Desire, and. I'm not sure how much play Mind's Desire gets. I could probably check. Um, would you like to say what Mind's Desire does? While sure. Mind's Desire is a two blue mana and four untyped mana. And it's a sorcery. It, a blue sorcery. And it says, shuffle your library, then exile the top card of your library. Until end of turn, you may play that card without paying its mana cost. And in addition, in addition to that, it has Storm. Which means when you cast a spell, you can copy it for each spell you cast before the turn. So it takes it's one of those stack, take, it takes advantage of the stack. Um, so you're supposed to cast a lot of spells and then storm this. And then you get, essentially you could play, if you have them in the proper order, you can play hefty cards for no cost at all. Um, which is, you know, that's the idea behind Mind's Desire. Which is nice, but I mean, it's not really, I mean... Why? <laughs> this whole I, set is like why. I mean, it, it looks like it lo- I'm looking here, and it looks like Mind's Desire does get vintage play, but the card itself, we're talking, this is like a dollar rare. Yeah, like it is not an important key piece to any puzzle right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I use Mind's Desire in two of my decks actually, in my oh, yeah? EDH decks. Yeah, Maelstrom I, I use it in Maelstrom Wanderer, okay. and that I use sense. it in um, Narset. That yeah, makes sense. Because yeah. both of my decks involve casting multiple spells per turn. Mm-hmm. So if I happen to hit on either ability... So for those of you that don't know, my Maelstrom Wanderer, once again... I've said this, I think, on a different podcast. Yeah, but come up. He has Cascade. So when you play him, you search for the next two spells in your deck that have a casting cost lower than his. And I can play those cards for free. Not to mention, if I happen to have a lot of mana, I might have done something else during my turn as well. So with Mind's Desire, let's yeah. say... That's the second card that I get to play um, after the Cascade. That means it's the third spell of the turn. I'm going to get three copies of it. One for itself and two for the Storm of Maelstrom and whatever the other card was. Or if I played even more spells than that, I might get a couple more copies for, for, um, for the Storm ability. What that means is I didn't play at least three, if not more spells extra from my deck as I shuffle and do them randomly if I get lucky enough. Um, same thing with Narsa. When she attacks, you do you know you reveal the top four cards of your library, and until end of turn, you can play them. Yeah. If I have my desire either in hand, and I have it's a man just, to play you're it, just going crazy, right? With or spells. even if it's yeah, I can just who knows yeah. how many minds yeah. desires I can get mm. off. Um, and once again, kind of in between whether or not that's actually worth the art. Yeah. Um, <laughs> next, we have Moomer Vig, Vig, visionary, who was the his art was the promotion for From the Vault, and Lord. he got. New art. He did. Like, <laughs> um, for this... I'm not sure about this choice. Weird. You know what the weird thing is? I found out about Momar Vig, and not found out, but like I I rediscovered his usefulness probably two months ago and bought 
a regular Momervig. And had I not bought it, this card maybe would have, in addition to some other things, maybe would have made me want to go buy this from the yeah. Was he a pricey one? No. I just, it's just, it would have been just one other card I didn't have. That's true. You know what I'm saying? As is now, despite the nice art and the foil, I'm still, I still haven't purchased from the Vault Lore. I'm not sure if I will. Mm-hmm. But Momer Vig for Commander is oh yeah really great i mean especially because he's low cost he's low car uh, he's low cost and he one synergizes green, one blue, with the colors and three yep um his only issue is he's really he's really weenie he's two two yeah he dies so to lightning bolt he dies to lightning bolt but if you do have him out anytime you cast a green creature spell you can switch your library for another creature card reveal it put that uh card on top of your library and if you cast a blue creature spell you reveal the top card of your library and if it's a creature you can put that card in your hand so if you play a blue-green creature, it becomes search, search for a creature and put it into your hand. Which is good. Which is fine. But I, there's another combo I like a lot more that is better in some ways. What's that? A Lauren and Wild Pair. Um, a friend of ours, Joe, who plays in our Magic games, mm-hmm. um, taught me this combo um, probably two or three months ago. I saw him pull it off, and I thought it was a really interesting combo. A Lauren is an enchantment, a green enchantment that mm-hmm. when it, uh, while it's in play, any player on their turn can cast any creature card with casting cost three or less for free. Oh, kind of like a, is that a group hug kind of card? Mm, not the way he played it. Fair enough. And also, it depends on what you're playing. If you're not playing small casting cost cards, you might not hit a lot off of it. If you're playing something like Elves, a Lauren is your best friend because yeah. now your entire deck just pretty much became free. Yeah. So, um, in addition to Aloran, though, what Joe t- paired with it, funny that I should use the word pair, is another green enchantment called Wild Pair. Aha! Uh-huh. Uh-huh. What Wild Pair does is anytime a creature comes into play under your control, you may search your deck for another creature card whose total power and toughness, total power and toughness, equals the same power and toughness of the card you just played. Oh. So you, if you play a 1-3 creature... You, you can then search your deck for a 2-2, two, two, or a 3-1, three, three. or a 0-4, mm-hmm. and you put it into play. So using a Lauren and Wild Pair with some interesting bounce cards, and his entire deck being mostly... It mostly consisted of cards of a total power slash toughness of uh, four. four. He was able to play a creature that would come into play, I believe it was Man of War, mm-hmm. which Man of War, when it comes into play... Um, you target another creature and bounce it. So he would play it for free, mm-hmm. target itself to bounce it back to its hand, mm. but on the stack, you have that wild pair, so he'd then pull another creature and put it out. <laughs> and then essentially just use Mana War, constantly bouncing it oh, to pull whatever he needed from his deck. That's ridiculous. In my opinion, that does what Momir Vig wants to do yeah. a lot better. Well, of course. Um, unless, you're pay- unless you're playing bigger creatures, in which case... That's it. It's super broken. Uh, Next card is Near Death Experience, a white card uh, where it says uh, it's an enchantment. uh, Three white mana, two two untyped mana. And it says at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have exactly one life, you win the game. Um, Which is like it's a flavor card from the the Battle for Zendikar set. um, Where it's like. I think it was actually Rise of the Eldrazi. Was it Rise? I think it was Rise. It was the first one. Yeah. Yeah, we keep. All these planes we keep revisiting, so we keep just thinking it's the newer card. It's not. It's definitely from Rise. <laughs> um, but you know, it's kind of like Gideon, and it's his. It's his. It's his moment of like you know, 
killed killed this goddamn Eldrazi, and now I'm almost dead, but I'm still here because I'm Gideon, and I'm like one of the most boring planeswalkers in existence. <laughs> Near death experience, I think, is a card that. This is just, there's no two ways about it. This is a crappy card. I mean, it's, it, you make a deck around it. You'd have to. Yeah. And being an EDH player, this is not a deck that I would play. If you're playing a regular deck, even then, I think the only deck that would come close to wanting to do this or wanting to utilize this card in modern is, I don't know if you know the Ad Nauseam deck. Yes, I do. You do know Ad Nauseam. Mm-hmm. So, wonderful viewers, the Ad Nauseam deck in modern, uh, for the most part, revolves around the card Laboratory Maniac, who I believe is from original Innistrad. Laboratory Maniac is a creature for, I believe, three casting cost, who when he comes out, um, at any time, if you would draw a card and you have no cards left in your library, you win the game. So the object is to mill yourself in the Ad Nauseam decks right now to keep themselves alive, because Ad Nauseam, what it does, as well as some other cards in there, is it allows you to essentially filter through your deck for Laboratory Maniac at the cost of life. So to counteract that, there's stuff like Angel's Grace, which if you would die, you instead go to one. Um, Or Phyrexian Unlife, which is like if you would go to zero, instead you start taking poison, you don't lose. But my point being is if you're playing a deck like that where it keeps you alive with maybe one life left, Mm -hmm. then maybe you could tie in near-death experience. But once again, that's not the win condition of the deck. And it would take a space that the other cards would be using to filter. It would be an interesting deck. Because I know there's more than one of these cards where you have to be a certain life total and you win. Just have multiples of those. Like, multiple, like, life total win cards. There's Test of Endurance. <laughs> but, but the problem is Test of Endurance and Felidar Sovereign, those are two cards that come to mind. Those involve high life totals. Yeah. You can't balance that with near-death experience. Yeah. You're either playing a life gain deck That's true, or, or you're playing a life loss deck. <laughs> Playing both would be counterproductive. Yeah, I just thought it'd be it's gimmicky. Both of those. Oh, I, uh, our buddy John. Yeah. He has his Aloro deck, which is the planes, or not planeswalker. Excuse me, the legendary creature who's uh, has the commander ability that even in the command zone nets you two life a turn. Mm. Um, in his version of the life gain Aloro deck, he used both Test of Endurance and Felidar Sovereign. Felidar Sovereign is a creature who. Uh, at the beginning of your upkeep, if you have 40 or more life, you win the game. <laughs> and Test of Endurance is an enchantment that does the same thing except with 50 or more life. So that gimmick is is possible. Yeah. Once it, one, But here's the thing. It's also a lot safer to do 40 or more yeah. or 50 or more than it would be to be exactly one. Or exactly 13 or all the other things. Right. Like, I think that's that's riskier. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Next up is Obliterate, yeah. which I could be wrong, but didn't Obliterate already see a reprint in a From the Vault? Was that, it in From the Vault Annihilation? It should have been if it wasn't. I'm going to check it up um, right now, but I'm pretty sure From the Vault Annihilation had Obliterate in it. I don't think so. I but, could be um, wrong. While he's looking that up, Obliterate is two red mana, six untight mana, sorcery. Uh, Obliterate can't be countered. Uh, and it destroys all artifacts, creatures, and lands, and they can't be regenerated. Okay, it did not have Obliterate in it. It had Rolling Earthquake mm. um, and Decree of Annihilation. So this is not as bad as I thought it was. Um, but it doesn't get a new art. Nope. And it's not really that expensive of a card. Uh, but and it is. Nobody plays it. Yeah, but it is a very slow red wipe 
which is like you could do a mingling other things with other colors and nobody cares about it <laughs> and it's the worst and it's like i'm sorry that we're just like poo-pooing on this entire set yeah, if you couldn't tell like... we get two thumbs down from the vault lore <laughs> but it's just like i feel like you know these these resources could have been put into something else it could have been this whole this could have been so much better i understand what they're doing with the lore itself but like I mean, they definitely seem there to are be. there are other cards that revolve around this lore that you could give oh yeah a reprint of for sure I mean, it's not like you know especially this next one yeah I mean Phyrexian processor it's yeah. bad it's a bad card <laughs> that's it that's all I just say about it I just think it's a bad card it's just straight yeah. up a bad card I mean it's interesting Tolaria West was reprinted in this. Um, I do know that that is used in some decks, but it's a transmute land. I don't know. It's a specific niche. It looks pretty. It does look pretty. I mean, in foil, really I'm sure it looks gorgeous. Yeah. But the la- the second to last card, I should say, um, this is the card. This is the other card, in my opinion. This is probably in the addition, only card. In addition like- <laughs> to Dark Depths that I think would make this worth it if you were going to buy yeah. it. Is Umazawa's this, this is a slightly this is a slightly expensive card. Not like yeah. crazy expensive. Yeah, it, no, I think I think it's still a pretty, still a pretty penny. But uh, it's 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 probably like the king, one of the king artifacts. Uh, you know, for all your uh, uh, what was the it, name? Of the Jeet is still like we're talking like in the upwards of. Twenty dollars. Yeah. That's moderately played. But that, that's expensive. Market price thirty five dollars. Yeah, that's expensive. The, from the vault probably, lore is nineteen bucks. Of course, <laughs> it's cheaper to get the pretty foil than it is to get the original. Um, but you know, people always want those originals. Um, but you know, this is uh, this is what was the name of the card that uh, uh, what Nihiri was? Uh, Stoneforge Mystic. Stoneforge Mystic. This was back in the day. The Stoneforge Mystic. It was type. way before Stoneforge yeah. Mystic. But I mean, like they, you know, they, it was kind of like a thing. It was, yeah. I mean, <laughs> anytime you could pull the Jeet from your deck, it was definitely. I mean, I think when Jeet came out, um, that was Kamigawa, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of the order of the sets. I can't remember if uh, Mirrodin was before or after because there was Steel Shaper's Gift. And then later in the Lorowind block, you had Stonehewer Giant, and they pulled artifacts. But regardless, what makes Jit so good is it's a two-drop artifact equipment, and it only costs two to equip. It is legendary, so you can't use multiples. Um, but whenever the equipped creature deals damage, the artifact gains two charge counters. That's the artifact, not the creature. So even if the creature dies, the abilities on the artifact can still be activated. That's what makes it really great. Um, its abilities are you can remove one counter from it to do one of the following. Either, number one, the equipped creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Number two, target creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Or number three, you gain two life. So dealing combat damage and getting these charge counters and using combos with like, you know, um, energy chamber and doubling season and anything that would give you multiple counters. I mean, this jit can become... Yeah. For powerful sure. it is indeed a powerful card um great in the artifact deck uh and then the last card of the set is unmask um which is uh i don't know why i, I don't like, know like this is like the silliest thing in the world i mean obviously lore wise it's a very poignant card once again <laughs> old art um but it's 
you know, it's three, it's four, four mana, black sorcery to um, essentially do what, what is the most recent, like, I mean, you would never pay it some casting cost. Mm-hmm. It's one of those cards that, like, Force of Will is a card where, Force of Will is the blue card. It's that ultimate blue counter that people love because you take one life and you remove a blue card from your hand instead of paying its casting cost. Unmask is a similar trick card in the sense that, I mean, it's it's a sorcery, so it's slower, so you can't do the same thing with it. But the idea is that even when you're tapped out of mana, you can still use it by exiling a black card from your hand rather than paying its casting cost. Target player reveals its hand. You choose a non-land card from it, and that player discards a card. So it's a discard that doesn't cost mana yeah. if you ditch a card in your hand. But, like, there's cheap... I mean, yeah, I understand. It's but fast. there's Thoughtseize. Yeah, I, mean, I was about to say, like, there's, like, you know... Like, Inquisition of Kozlik. There's a lot of, like... Duress, even. And like, even the, like, Inquisition of Kozlik would probably be a better, like, card for this set, but I guess, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, you know what they should have done? Poo-poo-magoo. I don't, know, Magoo. I don't know if they actually did this. Poo-poo-magoo. Yeah. But I don't know if they they should have put like a book with this or something like short stories from each set to kind of explain everything like that would have been good yeah. you know something more than just these cards but I mean I don't know anyways you know long story short I know we, we try to keep things a little positive here but like this from is the like, vault lore is a bunch of crap I wouldn't I wouldn't spend the money on it. Uh, buyer, think, buyer just, beware. You know the worst thing is, I think we spend twenty five minutes just talking about fun <laughs> ball lore. It's usually like our entire magic session is yeah. like thirty minutes. Uh, so moving on, yeah. conspiracy take the crown is yeah. coming out. Um, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will have been out for. Yeah. It is currently fully revealed. Yep, it will have been out only for about a week. Yeah. We're only recording this, I think, a week ahead of release this time. Um, <laughs> so. From the vault, or excuse me, we're done with that. Yes. Conspiracy, Conspiracy, take, take the, the crown. crown. Um, this review I can make quicker, except yeah. for maybe some choice cards I'd like to mention. Um, but you know, cons- it's conspiracy again. Conspiracy, yeah. But I mean, I like that. It's they- yeah, it's a fun format if it, you're going to draft. Yes, conspiracy is a is a draft centric set. It's meant to be drafted. There are cards um, that specifically have to do with drafting, including the aptly named conspiracy cards. You know, it's meant to be a, uh, an all-in-one set, so it's like you're supposed to only draft the conspiracy cards. Uh, but you could probably mix in other packs too. It wouldn't like take away from the experience. I feel. I don't think you'd want to though. No. Because they put a nice balance of cards in it. They're very specific about what they put into this set. Yeah. Um, but in addition to these new cards that are you know um specific to the rules of the conspiracy series there's also other cards that will be able to be used in they're either reprints or new cards that can be used in other um decks. other decks and other formats obviously the conspiracy and the draft centric uh, cards can only be used in draft format they're mm-hmm. not legal because they just don't make sense in other games especially on one-on-one games um there's a lot of multiplayer cards that do the same thing but probably the most shocking reveal for me of Take the Crown is brand new art reprinting of Show and Tell. Yeah, that that surprised a lot of people. Um, um, no one really, you know. I didn't think they'd ever reprint Show and Tell. And here it is. <laughs> Show and Tell is that is that is the staple card of a a, a legacy deck mm-hmm. and vintage deck that revolves around show and tell. So there's sneak and show and then I think there's other formats of the show and tell deck now as well and they're not necessarily called sneak and show. Some of them are just called show and tell. Mm-hmm. Um but show and tell 
is a sorcery, blue sorcery, one blue, two generic. Each player may put an artifact, creature, enchantment, or land card from their hand onto the battlefield. So, as it says, show and tell. It's like, hey, <laughs> I got this, here it is, and it's out. Really uh, easy to break that card. It's it's fifty dollar card, right? Yeah, there. it's nice that they reprint. It's nice for the legacy players. Yeah. Um, my my cousin who plays uh, fairly regularly, uh, Tim, he uh, he said would have killed them to put like Emrakul or um, <laughs> on the card is like coming out of the portal. Like, why not? Because that's what it's used for. Yeah, really. <laughs> I, was, I thought that was a pretty funny tweet, especially um, given the lore that just yeah, you know for sure with Eldritch Moon and but I mean this it would have made sense. I guess that would have been a too much like on the nose kind of thing, but it's a great card, fantastic card. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I'm I like I said I'm shocked that they decided to reprint it. There's some other nice reprints too. Desertion got a reprint. Um, a couple of things that I liked, but Show and, and Tell some, was definitely and the some name. new cards which were, were kind of like very interesting. Like for me. You know, I'm a green player. Savala, Heart of the Wilds, it's a really strong card. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a two green, one untyped uh, legendary elf scout. Uh, whenever another creature enters the battlefield, its controller may draw a card if its power, if its power is greater than each other creature's power. Uh, and then you can tap one green and, and tap it to add X mana in any combination of colors, any combination of colors, where X is the greatest power among creatures you control. That's pretty nuts. Um, like just that is mana generation, cheap card, and and it's already a combo piece. Yeah, um, Umbra Mantle is from Shadow Moor. It's an equipment that has tap three, untap. This creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Oh, so you can go insane. In, you can go infinite mana. You can go infinite. Yep. Wow. So definitely, like you'll probably see, I I I foresee several Savala decks coming up in EDH. Yeah. Um, another another card that got reprinted that I was kind of shocked that they reprinted, Berserk. Yeah, Berserk. I can't believe Berserk got reprinted. I, I was like... It's a great card. Oh, <laughs> it's a fantastic card. But it was definitely, I mean, I'm pretty sure Berserk is... You know, it's, uh, it's, it's one uh, green mana instant. Uh, and you can only cast it before the combat damage step. So very specific timing. But target creature gains trample and plus X plus zero at the end of turn where X is power. So it doubles the power. Oh, but at the beginning of the next end step, destroy that creature if it attacks this turn. All right, just to give you just to give you an example of prices here. So Berserk was printed only four other times. The first three times it was printed was Alpha, Beta, and Unlimited. Mm. And even in Unlimited with light play... You're looking at market value of $91. Oh, my God. Um, it was reprinted one other time in From the Vault Exiled, and that has a market price of $87. Fun fact, From the Vault, or not From the Vault, excuse me, Conspiracy right now, market price, 30 bucks. That's insane. Right? Like I would, <laughs> That's a money card right there. I would I would pick that. I If I had the money to drop, yeah. mark my words, pick that card up while it's 30 bucks. <laughs> it's going to go up. Yeah, because it's is, not going to stay uh, 30 bucks for long. Is Conspiracy Limited set? I don't know. Because here's the thing. I still see Conspiracy number one at yeah. at stores. So I don't but think I feel so. like there's a lot of like pull here this time around. Maybe. They might, they might run dry a little bit. They might run the tap dry. Um, There's some other nice reprints in the set too. Uh, I like it all in all, there's especially of, if you're going to draft. There's a lot of EDH staples in here too. Yeah. Um, which is nice. My biggest issue with the set is that 
I, there's a lot of cards I would really love a chance at getting. Like stuff like Show and Tell and Berserk make me want to buy a box of this in an attempt to pull one of these. Especially if I can get one in foil, because that would be incredible. However, a lot of these cards, like the conspiracy stuff, would be dead cards to me. Because mm-hmm. after if I'm not drafting them, they're literally just nothing cards. Yeah, they're not even like you can't even use an EDH. It's very specific. Um, you know, and I could see why you would be hesitant. It might be better just to buy the singles than it would. But it'd be, be nice to not have to pay the single price. Right. I mean, I think <laughs> the best way to go about it would be to actually to, go to a draft or buy a set for your friend. Like you know, everyone draft trips between in. friends. Yeah. Have fun with it at least once. So at least the cards that you're never going to use again. Yeah. You will have had some fun with. Mm-hmm. And, and, maybe, that, and maybe, like, draft the Mythics at the end or something like that. Or, well, I mean, no. You just get what you get because you drafted. That's true. But um, all in all, we both love it. But this is a great segue into what you can do with those cards is, is. Uh, create a cube. Yes. There's another format of magic called cubing, mm-hmm. which involves making... Does that mean you uh, you take cards and bring them to a third power? It means you just actually <laughs> you rip them up and stick them into Rubik's Cubes. And you uh. solve the cube trying to put the card back together. Of course, cute. obliterate. Yeah, or that's why you use crap. Chaos Orb. <laughs> yeah, that's why you use crap cards that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Um, you're actually thinking of not Chaos Orb. The uh, you're thinking of the Chaos Confetti. Chaos Confetti. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it was, so it was the the reason Chaos Confetti existed because was because of, Chaos Orb because someone tarot tore up the Chaos Orb. <laughs> um, so, so a cube, cube yes. is a set of cards that you, the player, create. Um, to draft from. Yeah. You essentially make your own set. set. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's large or can I mean it can be as small or as large as you want. I would recommend probably in the vicinity of a, I think 200 cards yeah. minimum. That's a very standard um, like amount of cards. But you could probably go as high as 600 if you really wanted to. If you're silly and crazy. I mean that way <laughs> that way obviously the more cards you have in the cube no two games of drafting it will ever really be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, different cards will come up different times. However, at the same time, you have to be choosy about what goes in your cube, and you have to make sure your cube is balanced. A lot of people like to put the best of the best in the cube. So I mean, like, which is fun because a lot of people don't get. I mean, one of the reasons I enjoy cube is like when we when we when you had your cube. How often do you use Black Lotus? Exactly. Yeah. You get to be able to play with Power Nine. Like maybe you just like proxy some power nine in there, and like hey, like I never got to use black Lotus or like a mox before, right? So like how crazy would be like it's a mox? I get to use it. I get to make a deck. And and as <laughs> as Jenga said, you can proxy cards for your cube. Clearly, you don't have to go out and spend the money and get the actual. I mean, a cards. lot of people like to complete their cube. Oh, I'm sure like, they do. It's yeah. a status, you know, kind of thing. Which is great, but also <laughs> like there's also a point where you think to yourself. You spent all this money, and now people are going to be handling this card like constantly. Mm-hmm. A cube is meant to be handled, so mm-hmm. I would say you're better off proxying the, the bigger cards. Um, but conspiracy is a great set to add to a cube, of course, because it, it involves drafting. It involves drafting, case in point. Mm-hmm. But also, some of these cards are like like Berserk, great additions to your cube, mm-hmm. and you don't need more than your cube has one copy of anything. It's never, there's never multiples. Yeah. It's not meant to be like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if you're looking into it, I mean, I know Magic Online has a cube format now, I think. 
But even before then, there's a hundred sites out there you can look up. Like cube there's graph. Like, there's like basic cubes to make. Right, and, like and they give you suggestions. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of times, you can you can just have fun. You can make it themed. You can make it like you know this is a snake cube. <laughs> or you could make it like uh, Ravnica City of Guilds cube, yeah. where all of the cards are double colored mm-hmm. for the most part. You know what I mean? And you like pick a guild. Yeah. You know what I mean? Try and draft your guild. It's like it's fun like that. You can have fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Especially like when things kind of get, you know, if you feel like things are kind of getting stale, you want to mix things up a little bit, a good cube can definitely mix things up. Especially and it's definitely you, it's definitely something you, to get out of these conspiracy cards. Yeah, and it's especially if you like draft and limited as a format, um it's perfect. Uh, I know a lot of people who like to only draft. It's just like they don't like, you know, standards too much money. Um, you know, uh like, you know, everything else is just you know, draft is just an easy thing to get in of. It's quick. You know, you don't have to worry too much about, like, oh, you know, all the crazy stuff. It's just like, do what you got, run by the seat, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, have fun. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> I I mean, if you're, if you're really interested, look into it. Make your own cube at home if you have the cards for it. Even mm-hmm. if you don't, make some proxies. You can make a popper um, cube. Yeah. Popper cubes. Use all those commons and commons that you have laying around. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's definitely a good thing to do. So, so yeah, that's, that's our uh, that's our magic. For... <laughs> it's probably probably one of the most negative ma- <laughs> It was a half hour of us shitting all over from the vault war, and then about ten minutes of us saying, "Yeah, conspiracy is pretty good. Magic yeah. is great. Drafting is great. Magic the is a great yeah. game, guys. Fuck you from the vault." Oh, that's uh, funny. Anyways, yeah, but Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Here we come. Everyone's favorite. Uh, so so everyone who skips over our magic segments, you can start tuning in now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, starting off our D and D segment for the month, we'll obviously talk about our unearthed arcana. Yes, as we normally do. Thankfully, they they're very consistent about these things. Maybe they realize that they they dropped the ball last time because <laughs> their the format looks nicer and everything <laughs> looks put together. And I was like, it's, all right, it's actually a thing. It's actually a thing. Um, <laughs> So this month's Unearthed Arcana, uh, named The Faithful, I think is one of my favorite because it speaks to me on a very fundamental level. Oh? So the idea of The Faithful is it's it gives two new playable options for the Warlock and for the Wizard. And the idea behind it, for the most part, is what happens when you have an arcane caster who is also very devout. It's kind of like your uh, your character in the other game. As I said, it speaks to me on a <laughs> fundamental level. Because every character that I've ever created um, is usually a wizard. I mean, I, I, play, I have played other characters from time to time, but my standard is wizard, or at least some form of an arcane spellcaster. And the miniature Elminster inside of me um, always worships magic. Mm-hmm. If there's a god of magic, if I'm playing Forgotten Realms, yeah. I'm worshiping Mistra. Mistra. Yeah. If I'm in a world where that god it does not exist, then I worship magic for magic's sake. Mm-hmm. In this Unearthed Arcana, they essentially were like, here, Dave, here's <laughs> the thing you do all the time. Because <laughs> for Wizard, they have a new arcane tradition called Theurgy, which is literally for a wizard 
who worships magic. <laughs> like literally, you you worship the fat the 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 magic itself, the, right? The weave. You literally it, worship. It, it the is weave. literally every character I've ever played <laughs> as an arcane spellcaster. Which is hilarious. And it does some neat stuff. It allows you to gain some domain spells from the cleric lists, but through arcane means. Um, you become an arcane priest or an arcane high priest. If in every game I play, from now on when I play a wizard, I will probably take this as my arcane tradition. Really? If the DM allows me. That's interesting. You'd forego the other arcane traditions? You know, I've looked at... I'll be honest. The arcane traditions themselves, while they have fun boons and I enjoy the flavor of them... Mm There's nothing in them... What I like about them is... And and also what makes me kind of ignore them almost... Is that they're very balanced. Yeah. I look at them and I think to myself like... By the time Endgame comes... If I ever get to Endgame with this character... And when I mean Endgame I mean like 20th level. Yeah. Not 16. Not 16. Well, you know... In this case you could be talking 17 or 16 or 14th level even... Because of Arcane Tradition. But whenever I get to whatever the Endgame is... I always think to myself that... Whatever arcane tradition I've chosen, it's going to give me something cool. Like, they're all cool. They do something cool. Evocation, it's going to get me... I can blast something really big, really quick, and do it for a lot of damage. Yeah. Necromancy, I'll be able to raise some stupidly powerful undead. <laughs> illusion, I'm going to make illusions into reality. Illusions, Michael. <laughs> I, which, by the way, that's a fantastic arcane tradition. Illusion, because yeah. you can literally begin to... Your illusions become reality. Oh, of course, like that's incredible. That's You're some, shaping that's some reality. Some Mangekyo Sharingan stuff there. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but at the but at the end of the day, my wizard is always defined by his spells, mm-hmm. and regardless of my tradition, I'm gonna take the spells I'm gonna take. Yeah. So, yeah, I will most definitely, if allowed, probably take theurgy. From this point forward. That's interesting. Because that is who my characters are. (laughs) Role-playing wise, that is me. Um, So as I said, Theurgy is an arcane tradition for the wizard. Allows them to gain um, a cleric domain spell from the arcana, knowledge, or light domains. Or the domain of a god that you worship. If if you're not worshipping god, you don't have to worship magic. You could technically be worshipping a god and just mm-hmm. be a very devout wizard who gains yeah. some divinity. You, indeed. But uh, I think it's awesome. It'll even let you can channel Arcana, <laughs> which is awesome. Uh, I really just, I love the idea of it and it would definitely be my new my new thing. As Jengis said, in our upcoming, and God knows when upcoming is going to be, <laughs> but in our upcoming series of You, Sh- uh, you Shall Not Pass Go plays and our D&D games... Uh, you will see my character, who is my wizard Alibris, who in that game started, we started at level two. I started as one level cleric yes, and one level wizard <laughs> because he worshipped magic so much that he got a level in cleric. <laughs> so literally, this Would, is like... Now I have a question. Would you retcon um, if, if given our, the choice? If our DM, Rocco, allowed me to retcon and use this because he was... Our DM was very adamant that he kind of wanted to keep it basic for all the viewers watching. He didn't want a lot of extra source materials. So we were told in the beginning that it had to be directly from the player's handbook. Um, But if 
after reading this and he allowed me to retcon, I would completely retcon my character to become this. That's interesting. Absolutely. Well, well, I will say this, David. If I ever do DM a game, I will allow you to use it. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, would you like to talk about the Warlock Pact? Sure. Um, Warlock Pact, it's one of my fi- I mean, they had this similar pack in... Um, I actually, I'll be honest. I never read too much of Warlock this time around. I don't know if they have this pack because I know they had it. In they fourth had it in edition, fourth edition. And in fourth, they didn't have it. It was my favorite pack of fourth. Yeah, in fifth, um, in fifth edition, the only initial packs. I don't remember what Sword Coast Adventurers added, but it's like. But in this, it added in in basic handbook. It was Fey. You could mm-hmm. worship the like the god of the Fey. Yeah. Or not or worship. Be a patron. But I mean, you could be yeah, like your your patron who gave you your warlocky spells. warlocky spells. <laughs> The, the good the good warlock was like the fae. Mm-hmm. And then there was like Cthulhu yeah. or the devil. <laughs> <laughs> like those were your other... So it was like fae god or Cthulhu devil. Well, this devil. is the nature of warlocks. Right. The, the deals they make to gain their power. But this time around, your patron, you get the the, uh, the warlock, otherworldly patron, the seeker. Um, so your patron is like a being of the astral plane. Uh, so it's got, a lot of it's kind of like spacey because the astral plane is technically space in the D realms mm-hmm. um so what you get from the uh from this this boon uh is you get like uh some floaty spells uh, you for, as part of your expanded spell list uh you can do uh you can make a shield on yourself um you get at third level you can start you can use augury kind of like divine from the stars so it's very flavorful like that. Sixth level, you step into the astral realm so that you don't have to worry about things that target you. Um, and you can also like buff yourself in the astral realm. Tenth level, you become one of those beings that no longer need to breathe and gain resistances, which is great. And then fourteenth level, you can make like your own astral zone plane for your allies, which is cool. Um, but all in all, you know, it's like it. Like I said. I like the space one. I mean, that's me. I like space. So. <laughs> I like I space. I like space. I like the stars. Yeah. So. All in all, much better Unearthed Arcana than last <laughs> Yes. Time. Definitely more viable options <laughs> yeah. than last time. More than just like, uh, here's a thing. Here's a thing. Here's something we what can just... What was that? Like, I still look at the format of it, and I'm just like, what were they doing this <laughs> Maybe, month? like, someone like, was on vacation, and they had to make yeah, something. Yeah, Billy was on vacation, and so, you know, yeah. Bully had to take over. <laughs> <laughs> like Mike Merles was busy getting ready for Gen Con or Gen Con and like this that's how they want to do it uh, and the last piece of our D&D segment uh, which was very uh, to me I, I was taken aback by this last piece second piece second piece second piece. didn't even get the third man oh yeah jumping right. the gun I'm sorry about that do you want to say no it? go ahead alright um, so second piece uh was like I said, I was taken aback by this because I think you know I, I'm confused by a lot of wizards' actions as a sure. Um, but Roll Twenty, which was a very popular online tool to host D and D games, mm-hmm. like a virtual tabletop, it can be used to host games over the internet. Mm-hmm. It can also just be used as a virtual tool um, with your players. Yes. For instance, with my table, I've talked about I have a gaming table that we're actually currently casting on right now. Um, there's a TV screen in the center of it, and I use that to pro- project my maps. But I use the tools and the fog of war of Roll20 mm-hmm. to do so. Yes. But they came out, um, say this was last month, they, uh, the end of last month, 
they came out saying that Roll20 is now an officially licensed partner with Wizards of the Coast. So that means that modules going forward will have a Roll20 equivalent where you'll be able to buy it and you'll have everything already pre-set up in Roll20. All your maps, all your additional things to hand out to players, monster tables, everything is in Roll20. The encounters, everything is built. It's all built in, ready to go. I mean, there's no... There'll be no downtime. There's no setup on the DM's part. You just literally have to have read the module. You have to be familiar with it, and you're good to go. Currently, they have uh, Lost Minds of Fandelver as a module, and then in come September, they'll have Storm King's Thunder. Which is like an actual, actual module. Like yeah. Storm King's Thunder is going to be printed in a hard copy. Yeah. So if you get it, if you get the, the digital copy through all 20 mm-hmm. it's all integrated all right there. there your encounters are you set get, up you get all like the, the story bits everything is there for all you. the handouts as we said the maps are all pre-generated the grids are set up we have all the tokens for all the right uh npcs like it's it's all there so um, it's not like uh you know it's not half-assed right like they, it's very well done yeah uh, which is like great because I know a lot of people, you know, they would just kind of do things on the fly. Like for me, for instance, speaking about earlier, like when I looked at this, I'm like, oh, I could do this then. You know, like this is it gives me more incentive to actually start a game because now like I half the part that you know kind of like overwhelmed me before mm-hmm. is already done. Right. So all you have to do is just run the game for the players. Right. And it's like, why not? Trust me, that's that's hard enough. I know, I know, but I mean, like. But it definitely took a chunk of the setup. It, it took the prep work out yeah. of it in terms of, I mean, the prep work that you have to do is still the reading. Yeah. But you don't have to remember how to create the map or know what handout or have to print anything out. And or things are more easily miniatures. accessible. Right. So that's a lot easier for you as a DM. Um, also, Roll20 has a dice roller built in. That's yes. something we should mention. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I can't stand the dice roller because, um, number one, there's just... Some, there's something about the feel of rolling a die um, in D&D. It makes it a more active thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes you... Uh, I, I was talking to Jenks about this earlier. Um, playing D&D online, I think, is great. If you have a group of friends that you want to play with, and they're either in far-off locations, or their schedules are hectic, or a combination of both... The internet is a fantastic tool to use to gather everybody up for a game. It does take away from some of the energy of that live participation of Dungeons & Dragons. Mm -hmm. So I think it can actually scale. It scales back the interest level, in my opinion, the the fun factor, because you don't have that that theater energy to it, that active live Mm -hmm. thing that you get from other people. Yes. Um, But it's still manages to come through okay you still end up having a fun time but i think the dice roller ends up being sort of the nail in the coffin for me in some ways it makes it great because obviously you don't have to angle your camera in a way in which everybody can see your die um and you know not that you have any dirty players in your group per se but if somebody's a cheat like you know obviously the dice roller it's all there they didn't they didn't fake a roll and they're not using weighted dice or anything like it's there for sure but clicking a button definitely is just not as active as participation as rolling the die. Feeling the die in your hand, getting that roll, seeing that nat 20. <laughs> like there's just something visceral about it that it's part of what I love 
pretty much the two things I love about Dungeons and Dragons when I play <laughs> are person-to-person contact and rolling the die. And the internet version of D&D kills both of those. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, you make sacrifices where you have to, but it's just one of those things that you as a, you as a player and you as your, and your DM, you kind of have to decide what version you want to use or if you want to use a mix of both. For some people, clicking the button or if they don't own dice even, it's there. It's mm-hmm. great and everybody sees it. For other people, they're just like, no. You know, they're like me. They're like, they, they need to feel that die to keep them active or they get sleepy or they I, get I think, bored. You I know? think for me... Uh, if as when I run the game, um, I'll, I'll I'll allow real life die rolling. I mean, the camera has to be on the die. That's I'll, the be. I'll right. be honest. Just I'll just ask my players not to cheat. And if you cheat, then I'll you're murder gonna, you. You're gonna get relegated <laughs> to the die roller. Right. It's like you got a nat twenty. You succeeded a lot of your. If, I mean, if you. Uh, but I mean, here's the thing. How many times do I roll an at twenty? Oh, I understand. Like you yeah. know what I mean. Like that's. I, I mean, there may be times where I'm in- incredulously asking you to angle your camera so I could see the twenty that you rolled. We we bring, it, we bring this up because Jenkins is right. Obviously, if someone's rolling at twenty all the time, you have the right to be a little suspicious. But I, I swear to you, and Jenkins can attest to this because I, I show the dice roll. Like I'm not. I'm not making this up. I, think he got his I roll. <laughs> I roll nat twenties. It's more when I DM though. Yeah. But when I DM, like I roll nat twenties, like they're like my business. <laughs> um, and I, I, I legitimately roll them. Like I, like the, my players, they watch me roll. Yeah. And if my, if my screen isn't down, they either see it immediately, or I, you know, I keep my hands up. I'll remove my screen. I'll show it. Like he learned an old dice rolling technique from his father, and he employs it to make us suffer. In his it's face. actually just part of the Cthulhu pact. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. more like that. Talk to Cthulhu. It's extra tentacle that rolls that dice. <laughs> of course. Um. Dave's actually a force user, and he just waves his That's hands. That's it. Press the digitation, really. Um, but anyway, yeah. So for me, like those are the two big things, which the internet kind of kills. But uh-huh. I think it, it though, really depends on. It also depends on the player base. It depends on the time of day. Yeah, there's a lot that has to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. that's the other thing. Like, think about it. Jengis. Gets well, very, very tired in I mean, D&D. That's the thing. Like, I probably relegate the games to a bit, uh, maybe not super long. Since we are doing it online, mm. I feel like we could have more sessions, shorter sessions, but more sessions. Right. Um, and at times, there are convenient to the players. Sure, definitely. Um, but yeah, I understand. I do get tired uh, at the end of the night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it is something that I, you know, uh, if I'm not, like, hopping myself up on caffeine... Uh, I do start to wind down. Right. And um, I, I think looking at a computer screen... It definitely doesn't help. I'll buy, it, some, I'll buy, some, I'll buy some gunners. Yeah. And that'll, <laughs> they'll cut down the blue light. Because I'll tell you, I mean, just to give you just to give an example um, of what I'm talking about, I'm thinking of stuff like World of Warcraft, for instance. I used to play WoW. Jengis still plays WoW. I used to play WoW. I used to be a huge player of WoW. Um, and this is great because this is going to be a fan... It's like I planned this segue because I'm going to talk about we're going to talk about Neverwinter in a second. Um, but I played World of Warcraft for a long time, um, and if it was late at night and I was playing WoW, I could be in the middle of a raid. A raid, for those of you that don't know, is you know it's um, a dungeon, so to speak, to, with to... multiple people, mm-hmm. usually a minimum of ten, if not twenty-five, or if you go way back, you're talking forty. Mm-hmm. I could be in the middle of a raid and I'd be falling asleep at the keyboard. <laughs> Literally. And it didn't even have to be at night. Sometimes it'd be in the middle of the afternoon, but it's just sitting there clicking buttons. I would just, 
my body would just start to relax and I would mm-hmm. start to fall asleep because it's just it just as active as you think it is, it's just not active enough because sometimes you know your character so well that you don't have to actively think about what you're doing. You're just mm-hmm. clicking the rotation that you know, pressing the buttons. And so I I can't tell you how many times that I would fall asleep mid raid or mid heroic. <laughs> one of the best one of the best I had was um, back during the Cataclysm expansion of WoW. I know this is kind of way off our D&D segment right now, but <laughs> back in the Cataclysm expansion, I remember we were fighting Deathwing and it's like the, you know, the which is the end game raid. Yeah. And I remember one day I was fighting Deathwing and I fell asleep at the computer. Oh Literally just fell asleep in the middle of the fight with my hand clicking buttons on the keyboard and clicking my mouse. I don't know how long in my sleep I was still doing that motion, mm-hmm. but I know that when my wife got home and woke me up, I still had my recount, which was a way to track DPS. My recount was still up. My mage was top DPS. <laughs> and I fell asleep halfway through the raid and still managed to pull off top DPS. Damn. That just goes to show you how little activity <laughs> you actually needed in that game. I bring this all up because you have to be careful with that with online D&D. There was even a funny video that came out I think a couple months ago. I don't know if you saw it, but it was of a game where like this guy one of the players in this online D&D game like falls asleep mid-game and the rest of the players <laughs> are trying to wake him up. And he's got headphones on and like yelling in the headphones, but he is just not waking up. He's just out. And they had to call the game because he was just asleep on camera. And they were like, well, we can't go on without him. So if anything, it'll make good TV. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, long story short, I would say um, my suggestion is that if you're going to use Roll20 as a fully online platform, um, it's going to be great, Mm -hmm. especially if you're using the pre-mades. Obviously, oh, I mean, it started as a Kickstarter and you can oh, a long time ago. I yeah. was a, I was a supporter way back when. And also, you can obviously make your own content. It's free, and it's free. So definitely use it. Um, but if you even no matter how you're going to use it with whatever content, my suggestion is if you're using it to enhance your live game, great. Just make sure it doesn't become distracting. And if you're using it as a fully online platform, try to figure out ways to keep your players engaged. Even simple things as allowing. Um, dice rolls of their arms because having to move their arms in that motion having to have them do something physical like that yeah. will keep them awake and yeah, engaged for sure um, or other things you know what I mean like have them I don't know make sure they're always like something going on that they can enjoy interact with right keep their brain stimulated correct so to speak so anyway um, big awesome plans for Roll20 yes for sure and I hope that the, this partnership works for them and then I hope it flourishes from there yeah me too they continue to release the uh, modules digitally as well as physically yeah i would though like to see in the future um a discount option yeah that'd be nice like you if you buy paper you get a, like x a, discount like even like, like you know like 20. a scratch off code on the inside that you could scratch mm-hmm. off i mean they might still do that storm king's thunder is not out yet maybe <laughs> um and that'd be great just put like a little scratch like you know what i mean like a little what would you call that you know, like a coupon code. Yeah, but like, what do you call the foil that they put over it when you scratch it off? Like the, the scratch off foil. foil? Yeah, <laughs> I, guess. I don't think it has a technical term. I'm sure it does. We don't know. It's probably like the the scoongeely foil. I don't yeah. know. Whatever yeah, it is, the bippity boppy foil. <laughs> yeah, uh, it'd be great if they put one of those in the back of the book, and it was like sealed in a way that you like oh, you know yeah. until you bought it they or could like, be scratched. You know, like and... like in the the Shonen Jump when you got like Yu Gi Oh cards, they would be like. 
sealed onto like the yeah <laughs> just something that allow you to that if you bought the book hard copy like if you could get maybe fifty percent off the digital yeah that'd be great because it'd be great it'd be nice it'd be a nice show of a uh, a show of synergy yeah, partnership exactly yeah. and like you know it'd be nice for the players as well it would wizards uh, <laughs> so as we said moving on to our last part which was great that we started talking about MMOs isn't it because Neverwinter. So, um, so Dave's been hella into Neverwinter. Yeah, um, I remember, so I told you I, I was like hella into World of Warcraft. Well, um, I stopped World of Warcraft because, as an it's just, the way the game World of Warcraft is set up, um, was set up, still is set up. <laughs> it is not a game you can pause, and it's a hard game to put down mm-hmm. in the sense that a lot of things that you that you do eventually involve other people, and if you start something. You kind of have to finish it. Mm-hmm. Not quests, but like if you're doing raids. like raids or dungeons, yeah. you're kind of committed once you're in. And if you stop, I mean, you can stop, but if it's a random group, they may not care, but you might get locked out of content. It might be hard to pick it back up later. Yeah. Um, and if it's a group that, you know, if it's a guild or people that, you know, you know in your digital form, uh-huh. they're, they'd get pretty annoyed with you if you just dropped randomly. Maybe. So that was one that was <laughs> that was one factor. Um that plus the fact that World of Warcraft because of its content and the way its content works is a job. Mm. If you want to play it, like mm. seriously play it. If, if you want to be if, the best of the best, it, you have to invest a lot of time. Not even the best of the best. If you want to enjoy the boons that the game has. You must have a job. And what I mean by that is simple things like you want that shiny mount that faction Squiddly Dink has. You have to perform Squiddly Dink's five daily quests for the next three months straight. I'm a Squiddly Dink rogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean by a job. And that has nothing to do with being the best player because uh-huh. by, by no means that requires not necessarily skill to do. It just invests time. But it invests time. And time is a commodity that a lot of people don't have a lot Me of. Me as a father now, I don't have father, that time. Father, teacher, I'm sure. Right? And then the third you know, kind of thing, get, take it or leave it, you have to pay for World of Warcraft. You do indeed have to pay for World of Warcraft. Um, one way unless you want to level up to 1 to 20, in which case then... Or unless you have a, if you're really good at making gold, you could pay for a subscription in gold. Right. Um, but, but regardless, we digress. but then that would just be more time, in which case, Indeed. counterintuitive. Um, Neverwinter just came out for the PS4. Um, it, it has been out for PC for a long while and an, an Xbox for also a decent amount of time. I played Neverwinter when it first came out on PC a long time ago. Yeah. Um, early 2000s? Yes. No, not early 2000s. I feel like it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> Um, I'll look that up. You keep talking. Yeah. Anyway, Neverwinter came out a while ago. Um, there was a lot of hype when it first came out. It was a direct tie-in to the Forgotten Realms series of books and novels that R.A. Salvatore was writing at the time, as well as some other that, authors. Like fourth edition it as was, a whole. It was, also, <laughs> it was also like the fourth edition flagship, which fourth edition as a tabletop game was just butt. But as June a video... June 20th, 2013. 2013. There you go. Um... But fourth edition as fourth edition as a um, video game, 
it was like made to be a video game mm-hmm. it really was the the whole the whole format was definitely video game oriented because even when we played it for the first time we right. mentioned this that is it, like an MMO this is like tabletop wow <laughs> there are like there are role there are set roles yeah like you are a defender tank yeah so like you're you a have, defender fighter and you have certain powers that you get you can of, taunt things yeah like it was just really it was very very tabletop wow um so naturally that rule system caters very well to an actual mmo video game indeed and uh it's free to play which is a big bonus and it doesn't feel like a job i would say freemium it is it is definitely a freemium game and we'll get to that in a second um but it it doesn't feel like a job when i play neverwinter i want to play more because i'm enjoying it so much mm-hmm. But I don't feel, and there are similar, and which which is weird because there are similar things, but it's almost like the best way I can explain it is that there are campaigns in this. Yes, and the campaigns revolve around storylines. Some of these campaigns tie into the current campaigns of D anD D, like uh, Storm King's Thunder, which is Storm coming Thunder, out, is uh, going to be. It Prince, just got released on the PC version of Neverwinter. Indeed, uh, uh, Tyranny of Dragons is in there. Yeah, it was Rage of the Abyss is in there. Mm-hmm. So um, these campaigns. They do have daily quests, and you obviously want to do the dailies. But a lot of these campaigns, like, the daily quests are very quick. Mm -hmm. If you miss one, you don't feel like it's going to take you forever. And they also make you stop. Like, there's certain things you do that, like, to get a campaign boon, you have to activate the certain... um, mechanic in the campaign itself and it may it might take 20 hours to finish wow that's a lot of time yeah so you might you you don't you can come back 20 hours later the next day it's it's the game's way of saying like you can put the game down for the day yeah like you you, you're done for the day it's like all right come back right (laughs) you're good so and being a console game now you can't really pause neverwinter per se no because it is an mmo so if you if you do go into your menu other things are happening around you but as a console game, it definitely feels, and and even on PC, I'm sure it just it feels like you can put it down. That's the biggest thing with it. It feels like you can put it down, and maybe that has to do with it being free. I'm not sure, um, but I'm loving it. Yeah. Now getting to the ba getting to the freemium aspect of it i know that there are mounts and like you can get special mounts and special chests and like so if you getting it on ps4 right now you automatically i mean first off in the quest line you will get a regular horse but getting it on ps4 right now for free um you get a, like a, an electric tiger mount which is essentially that spectral tiger mount that everybody wanted in wow and everybody <laughs> gets one in neverwinter everybody um the lightning tiger so a liger a liger um <laughs> But yes, there are the freemium. It's hard to explain. So the freemium aspect of the game is there's definitely a lot more that you can get, mm-hmm. and better items and better things you can get if you pay for them. That is the structure there's of the like game. There's a companion system. There's com- yeah, there's a companion system in the game, and there are better companions you can get. But here's the thing: everything in the game you can do the entire game free. Yes. You don't have to pay. Paying will make it easier, um, even if even if it's as simple as becoming what they call a VIP member. Being a VIP member is essentially an optional subscription. Mm. It's paying for a month of the game that you didn't have to pay for. Yeah. It's ten dollars. It gives you certain. But boons. the boon that you get is every day you get an enchanted key, 
which there are these lock boxes. You find lock boxes like nobody's business. They make sure they they flood you with lock boxes <laughs> because they want you to buy extra keys. But you get one a day with the VIP rewards. Um, you open up the lockbox and inside is going to be something good. It's something maybe that'll help you upgrade your companion down the line. Maybe you get a rare mount, a legendary mount if you're really lucky, mm. which increases your speed. Um, stuff like that. Um, these aspects of the game definitely make you want to pay. And I did. I got a VIP for a month and, I, and it definitely made some of my end game easier. Mm. Um, which I'll talk about in a second and why that made it easier. But you can play the whole thing free. And some people look at it and say, how? Because there are some things that you look at and you're like, I can't get this without spending money. For mm -hmm. instance, I'm not sure. There are events that happen in the game. Just like in WoW, there are like, you know, special events. Like holiday events? Yeah, but there's all, they're all, they don't always happen on a holiday. Like this mm -hmm. week there was like an event for like one of the gods had an event. Timora oh. had an event. Timora. And for three days you could like, Earn the favors of Timora. Fascinating. And you would open a bag, and every now and then inside would be like this coin of Timora. And if you got enough coins of Timora, there you was can... an epic mountain you could Oh, play. fancy. Um, but those random um, events notwithstanding, uh -huh. I don't think it's possible in the game to get a mount of epic quality. Really? Really. I hmm. think you can only get common and uncommon mounts in the game. I guess it's just their incentive for spending money kind of thing. I guess. But here's the thing, and what makes it really interesting, and, and we'll talk about why you can... Some people look at this and say, well, then how can you? How can this game be free? You clearly I mean, would have to How can to it pay. be balanced? Right. And I'll get to that in a second. But it's not just a speed increase that these mounts give you. Um... Certain mounts, just like your companions, just having them slotted in your active mount slots or your active companion slots mm -hmm. give you stat boons. Oh, what? Yeah. Like certain mounts, you can give them these what they call insignias. And depending on the combination of insignia you give them, you will get just a basic passive stat boon. Like maybe like, plus 25 critical strike. My God. And not even when you're using the mount. Just having it in the active slot. Um, same thing with your companions. So you want the, the better the mount, the mm -hmm. better the insignia slots it has, and the better the passive abilities that it will have for being active in your stable. So obviously you want to have an epic mount. People say, well, then you can't really play the full game if you don't get an epic mount and you have to pay for it. Yeah. But here's the thing. Just like, wow, you can pay for a subscription with gold um, in Neverwinter. Um there is two, there's technically three types of currency. Mm -hmm. That's probably the most confusing part of the game. There's your gold, silver, copper. Yes. Which is like your, your normal in-game currency. But it's not. Because there's another in-game currency of astral diamonds. And that's the currency you really want. Because your gold is really good for nothing. The only thing you spend your gold on, completely honest, are like potions and injury kits which is just to gain you health. And when you die, when you respawn, you're usually injured. Or if you step on a trap, you get injured. You just use an injury kit and it heals you. That seems silly. But I use my gold for nothing else. Astral Diamonds, that's the currency of the auction house, the player auction house. Mm -hmm. That's the currency of all of the best items in the game. That's the currency of the professions. <laughs> like, it's all Astral Diamonds. So really, it's weird that they have that distinction. It's weird that it's not just one fluid currency. Yeah. Then the other currency, the last currency, is Zen. Zen is the... You paid for this money. Oh. And that's how you buy the in-game items. There is an Astral Diamond to Zen exchange. 
Oh, fascinating. So if you earn enough astral diamonds, mind you, you have to earn a lot. We're talking like 140 astral diamonds equal one zen. And just so you know, 100 zen is $1. Oh my God. So yeah, you have to get a lot of astral diamonds, which late game is possible. But point being is, you can work at it Uh to not pay for zen and therefore not pay for things you would normally have to pay for. Interesting. It would take... Time. Time, but that is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, obviously they in, give you the incentive of the the VIP rewards. Yes. Now, there are other minor currencies in the game, one of which is these trade bars, which you get trade bars every day by unlocking a lockbox if you have the enchanted keys. And there's some epic gear you can get at the end game. That's pro- The end game is the thing I wanted to bring up the most. Neverwinter, while being extremely fun... Well, let me ask you this. We're just, just taking a step back. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Um. So... To those who may not have played Neverwinter, what kind of game is Neverwinter? Is it like a traditional MMO, or or is it a little bit different? It is an action RPG MMO. Okay, so you kind of like your actions correlate to like you you have to physically hit things. You are you got, well yes well it depends on, yes okay <laughs> different classes play different ways I guess so um, if you are a fighter yes. You are moving up to something, targeting it, hitting your button, and your sword is swinging. Wizards, not so much. Wizards, you're pressing and holding a button to throw a range attack. Are all the Similar classes though. represented, or is it kind of like... you? Okay, so there is the... As we mentioned, 4th edition is very role-specific. So there are two different fighters. There is the Guardian fighter, which is the tank. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Great Weapon fighter, which is the DPS. Okay. There is the... Um, Devoted cleric, I think, is what it's called, which is um, the the healer. Basically, the hero healer. I think there's a DPS portion of it, but there's just that one, like that is the one cleric class. Uh-huh. There's the scourge warlock, which is just DPS. There's the control wizard, which is the controller DPS. Interesting. Um, there's ranger, uh, which is a DPS class, which can actually do ranged or melee. Oh. Of course. Um, and then there's the Trickster Rogue, another DPS class, obviously. So is controller Control Wizard the only controller? I don't know if Scourge Warlock is a controller, but if it's not, then yes. What about this Oathbound Paladin? Then there's, I was going to say, there's Oathbound Paladin. I think there's one other Paladin too, right? No? Maybe just Oathbound Paladin? Um, and they can be a healer or tank. Same thing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, and that's it. Those are the classes of the game. Um, I played the Controller Wizard. If you couldn't tell from all of my talking about being wizard, <laughs> um, and I'm enjoying it real time. Um, you know, you press buttons, things happen, and you have your daily pa- or you have your daily powers, your encounter powers, your at wills, your at wills. It's literally fourth edition. It's literally fourth edition. Your at will <laughs> powers. You can hit the button; it'll do it as much as you want. There's no stopping it. Um, your encounter powers are on a cooldown timer of maybe five to twenty seconds, depending on the power and what feats you've taken. Uh-huh. Um, and then you have daily powers, which that's how they incorporated what the action point system of the game. Um, you work towards gaining an action point. When you have an action point, you can use it to activate a daily power. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Uh, so end game. So going into the end game um, is very overwhelming because the PS4 version, the free version, not only comes with the base game, it comes with all nine of the current expansions of the game. Oh, not including Storm King's Thunder, but when when it does come out, you will get that too. For free. Really? Yep. Huh. All free. 
So when you get to the end game, it opens up all of these avenues and you're not sure which one to take and what you're ready for because some of these are scaled to a point for people who had been playing from the beginning so you're not ready to go there as a fresh 70. Yeah. You you would just get crushed. There's also no direct clear instruction as to there's in no, the game itself as to where the best places to go at that there's moment. There's no like set thing like oh you do X, Y and then Z. It at level 70 every single campaign opens up to you. Oh my god. And you, most of them you can do immediately. Some of them do require a certain gear score. Uh-huh. But most of them you can do almost immediately. Um, I will say, if you do play Neverwinter, what you want to finish, even if you skip some of it, I skipped, I did the beginning and then I did the end because you could kind of skip around in this particular campaign, Mm -hmm. was the Elemental Evil campaign. Um, Because in the last portion of it, at the uh, Spinward uh, Rise, which are the uh, floating isles of the fourth edition world, you know, the, what, are the, what do they call them? The, uh, do you remember that? Oh, my God. Realms, they had, like, the, no. the moats that flew around. I don't even remember. They had, like, a name. <laughs> anyway, it's up on one of those. Um, that last portion of that quest line, of that campaign, gets you an artifact weapon and an artifact offhand item, which um, are very, very powerful. They're upgradable items, essentially. Oh. They start... So kind of like... Anyway, uh, continue. Uh, I was just going to say they start as uncommon quality and then they can go all the way to legendary quality as you refine them. Um, and their item level and their powers grow with them. Oh, so like a living weapon almost. Sort of, yeah. That's cool. Um, that was definitely the first thing to do. Um, I br- And I bring this up because the trade bars that I got from the VIP helped with my gear score because at level 70... There were there were three pieces of epic level gear for level seventy that you could get with trade bars for very very cheap, and it was a great way to just boost my initial end game to get me to the point where I could start running, um, the higher higher level. end stuff. Interesting. And I'm still in kind of like the beginning, if not mid, end game portions. Are, are there like raids, or is it mainly just five player or four player? Or there four? are. Um, I it's mostly five the. There's mostly five-player content in terms of the regular dungeons and skirmishes that you do. Mm-hmm. But some of the other world stuff, like there are just encounters in the world. They're called heroic encounters, um, akin to World of Warcraft world bosses. Uh-huh. Um, like if you go to the Well of Dragons and Elminster's there for you, <laughs> um, it's where the Cult of the Dragon is currently trying to summon Tiamat. Oh. So there's a dragon of every color that randomly spawns in these locations in that in that uh, map instance. So you wouldn't want to go there with a team of five. This morning, for instance, um, they do. some people host what they call the Dragon Farm, which is they start at the top right, uh, top right corner of the map uh-huh. and then in a clockwise form just work their way down through each dragon. So it's like a parade of people. And it was, it was, I think, for each map, the total amount of people you, that can be in that certain um, instance of the map, because uh-huh. there's several instances of each map setting, um, is 40. So they just try and invite as many people as they can get. And and I think there's sometimes uh, higher limits too. But yeah, it was just a mob of people. <laughs> and we all got together. And the dragons, like, they have a despawn timer. And then they don't come back. So you have to kill them quickly if you want to get through them all. So we just started at the top right, killed the first dragon, and then just as a horde, just went to the next one, killed it. That's pretty awesome. It. But they took a while still, and that was with like at least 40 people. Yeah. So um, that was a lot of fun. People are very, very easy to get a group with, um, but that's the other fault of the system right now. 
the oh. matchmaking system of Neverwinter. Uh, it should always, when you go into a dungeon, you should always have like a tank, a healer, and three DPS. That's like the standard lineup of a five man. Um, if it's a fresh dungeon, most of the time, most of the time, 95% of the time, the matchmaking system will give you that. If you're doing a random, when I say matchmaking, I mean you don't have a group already. You as a single person are queuing for a dungeon. You're getting thrown with a random pickup group. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if someone drops from your group, the matchmaking system just doesn't care what role it gives you. It just gives you anybody? It gives you anybody. That's a tank, horrible. A tank drops, you might get a rogue. And you're just like, well, this doesn't help. Um, so that's something they really need to fix. And also, huge language barrier. There is built the built-in PS4 voice chat. There's also the obviously the text chat as well, um, which I highly recommend if you don't have a keyboard. The PlayStation app for your uh, phone will allow you to do text entry a lot easier. Now, what do you mean by language barrier? Is it? It's not. I mean, all it's international, like, like Russian. Oh, so, like other countries, right? Like someone is speaking to you in Russian, be- and you have no idea what they're saying, <laughs> whether it be in text form with a crazy alphabet, or whether it be with their voice you're just like i have no i i, I went to a, uh, a pug the other day yeah. and i guess these all four of the guys i don't know if they were on i don't know if they were previously adventuring and it was just the four of them and they just needed a fifth for their pug if they were a group and then i was like you know the random pug in the group um or if they just happened to get put together and they were all russian yeah but i had to turn my tv down because blaring through the, the volume on my tv were these four just Russian guys just speaking nonstop to each other. And I was just like, I have to turn you down until I can figure out how to mute you. And then I figured out how to mute their mics. Oh, nice. Muted their mics and that was the end of that. But still, that's what I'm saying. Like, I have no idea what they were saying. They could have been talking to me and being like, all right, we want you to take the left guy. And I would have no idea. Meanwhile, they're just like, what is this dude doing? Like, and I'm were just you, like throwing spells. Were you able spells. to finish the, uh, the, the group? Nah, the pugs are a little bad, man. Today wow. was probably one of the first of, of end game. Beginning game, yeah. Pugs are easy in the beginning. Um, but for the end game content... A lot of newbies like me, they're just people just don't know how to play, or they just don't know what they're doing, and they don't know the fights yet. So, or their gear is just too low. So, I've had a lot of trouble finishing usually the final boss. Well, that's unfortunate. Not this morning, though. This morning, I went to Lair of Lostmouth, and we beat Lostmouth, and I got a nice little piece of gear out of it. Very nice. Yeah. So, Neverwinter rating two thumbs up. For me, yeah. You played it in the beginning iteration. The very what did you beginning. Think? Um, you know, it was fun for what it was, but much like any MMO, um, everyone kind of got bored with it and moved on to something else. Hmm. Um, it, it at the beginning it needed like balanced stuff and like there was work to be done. Right. So you know, I, I it's unfair to judge it at that point. That I would, you know, I'll have to. Uh, maybe maybe when I have my PS4 hooked up again, I could try try it out. And, yeah, uh, give it a shot. I'll play with you. Though uh, though I think I did have some rare mounts of my gold character on the PC version, so I'll be a little sad to lose them. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. All in all, definitely two thumbs up for me for Neverwinter. Cool, cool, cool. So board games, board games. Moving on. Uh, starting with, you want to go retro? You want to go new? Let's go with retro because it can lead into the new one a little bit. Interesting. Sure. So this is semi-retro. We're talking like 1989, which <laughs> to some is, that's to some pretty retro. retro. <laughs> I mean, I guess depending on when you were born, like that might be 
really old. Yeah. I mean, my students would be like 89. 89. Um, you guys didn't even have the internet back then. What is interwebs? <laughs> uh, so, you know, kids don't always know that there was no internet at the time. They just kind of think it was always there. Taboo. 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 Party game by the Parker Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another Hasbro game, right? Yes. And it's just, uh, it's great. Taboo is a game where um, you're in teams. Uh, each team on their turn will select one person to sort of be the, I don't know what they call it. I'm going to call it the card jockey, so to speak. Uh, there's a timer, and the other team has a person come and flip the timer. And the card jockey has to try and get someone on their team to guess the word, the taboo word. Um, but there are five, four, five, five, four or five other taboo words that they cannot say. You can't say the word itself, and you can't say the four or five other words. So Usually let's just they're say, words that would give away. The, right. Like, let's say um, I'm trying to get Jangus to guess bookshelf. Bookshelf. Shelf and book are both not allowed because they're part of the taboo word itself. Okay. But maybe I'm. maybe it might be like, they might still put books there. Mm-hmm. They might put literature they might put um furniture Mm -hmm. they might put a unit um just words that you would try to use to describe a bookshelf and so you have to kind of figure out other ways than the norm to describe these words if jengis guesses the proper word i would then move on to the next card you try to do as many as you can and try and do as many as you can if you get you can pass but for everyone you pass or get wrong your team loses a point, and whenever your team loses a point, the other team gains a point. So it just gets transferred over. Um, that's Taboo. That's Taboo. Taboo's a fairly simple game. Um, it has a board, but it's really like, you know... You don't use the board. You don't use a board, or, you know, it's just a, a way to end the game. Um, but it's a nice party game. Uh, it's still fairly relevant today, I would say. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, I played it a couple weeks ago on vacation with my oh, parents. Nice. And uh, my wife, and my we wife. crushed. My wife. Um, I had fun. And it's and quick. You know what's great? What's great about the game is being a dick is not a strategy in that game. <laughs> no, it's not, David. It's a cooperative game. You You're trying to, to yeah. just work with your teammate. Yeah, you must you must you must eat you up inside. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, I think it's, I think it's fun. It's something quick to do if yeah. you have time to kill. Very few games these days uh, cater to a large group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's nice to have, like, uh, thankfully the older games did have some of that party game mentality. Sure. Uh, in family which, game night. Family game night. And so they, they, you know, when you have like six or more people, for most board games, that kind of cuts out a lot. But at least for these party games, you can like, hey, let's make a couple groups and you can still play, which right. is great. Uh, that's why I like these older games too, because they have, you know, they like I said, they have that. Uh, but so that was quick. Yeah, but I mean, uh, Taboo is a simple game. Yeah, I mean, uh, and I, like I said, it's the more people you have, the more fun I think Taboo is. Yeah, because people get, you know, they get energetic. But it, it, you know, it reminds me of uh, that episode of Family Guy. I think they were playing charades, <laughs> and Dewey's like, you know. He's, he's doing something, and the guy's like, is it a jackal? Jackal. Is it a jackal? Jackal. It's a jackal. It's like, wasn't right the first time. I think that's Pictionary. Oh, he's doing Pictionary. That's yeah. right. I, um, I was remembering uh, when Peter was on catchphrase and the, the word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is you. <laughs> you. 
regardless, yeah, it can get it can get frustrating sometimes when your partner isn't picking up what you're putting down. Of course. But all in all, it's I, fun, it's simple, enjoyable. Indeed. Uh, two thumbs up. Totally. For sure, from both of us. Uh, moving on. We should uh, start with apples to apples. <laughs> this is kind of a, a double whammy. Double whammy. Yeah. So kind of like the evolution of yeah. this genre. So apples to <laughs> yeah. I, I guess it's a genre, yeah. So apples to apples. Um, when it came out, for those of you, that, first let's describe apples to apples. Okay, apples to apples is another party game, um, uh, but unlike uh, Taboo, where you're making like two groups, it's uh, you have a rotating kind of. It's a free for all. Uh, exactly, it's a free for all, and there's usually one person who's like a judge, and that judge spot kind of moves along. Yeah, it moves along to. There's a lot of ways you can do it. The first way, well, not a lot, but two main that I have seen is for the judge spot is either the person that wins the round becomes the judge, or you just do it in a clockwise motion. Um, giving the person who won the round the judge spot is sometimes more fair because if it's somebody who's really good at the game with that particular group, it kind of stops them from collecting a lot of points very quickly. But then you might have one person being judged the entire game, so that's where going clockwise might make it more fair for everybody to get a chance to judge. Mm-hmm. Um, but long story short, when we say judge, it's a game of adjectives and nouns. Yes. Um, there's the green apple cards and the red apple cards. Uh, the green apples, I believe, are the adjectives. That's correct. And the red apples are the nouns. You have a hand of red apples. Each of them have, are random nouns. It might be something like, you know, magic cards. <laughs> or it could be, you know, Anne Frank. Yeah. Um, and then the judge will have, will flip up one green apple, which will have an adjective. It might say like, you know, depressing. <laughs> and everybody will then throw in what they think their best card for this adjective is. Now, when I say best card, that's a weird phraseology. It, it, this is one of those games It's very subjective. Right. Um, you kind of have to know your audience. You have so to know speak. the judge who's judging yeah. your card. Because mm-hmm. they might pick your card because it, like, you could put Anne Frank. Yeah. And that's depressing. It is depressing. And the person might be like, that is very fitting. But maybe your person wants comedy. Maybe they like something funny. That's usually a lot of apples to apples groups go for that sort of comedy so feel. Taxes. I'm going to put magic cards uh. <laughs> as my other example. Like, that is depressing. Who plays magic? Like, you know what I mean? Like, something ridiculous. And then it's like, yeah, but I put Anne Frank. That's actually the logical choice. It's like, but magic cards made me laugh. So magic cards wins. Exactly. Um, so you definitely have to know your audience. Now, when Apples to Apples first came out, part of what people loved doing was making these very almost minorly inappropriate funny connections. Like yes. bringing up Anne Frank, it could it would be like something like, you know, uh what can I think of for this? Or better yet, instead of Anne Frank, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. Trying to make, I'm trying to see how offensive without being overly offensive I can be. <laughs> it's, it's very different. It's very, very different. Let me keep Anne Frank out. Um, maybe the adjective says something like, you know, like longevity. Mm. It's like Anne mm. Frank. And they're like, oh, because, you know, it's not longevity because she died. That's true. Like, you know what I mean? Like something, something random like that. I, I'm having a really tough time thinking of an adjective that would be inappropriate for it. Um, for Anne Frank right now. But long story short, if you do something that's like ironic or something that's funny, 
um, your audience would laugh and it was something oh, inappropriate. A big one was Helen Keller. Uh, Helen Keller was another one of the uh, yeah the the noun cards. I think Hitler was in there too. Yeah. And like there was a lot of like things that obviously can go in like really dicey directions that made people go oh, and that's usually how you would win around. Like if you could do something like that, um, the more inappropriate you got, the better. So taking so that, that into account, the, the they the game that gained a lot of popularity, the game that was created for this reason. Yeah. Is uh, they don't hide adult it. apple staff, right? No. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's called Cards Against Humanity. Oh, I meant, I meant a, literally adult apple staff. I know. Well, apples the, apples did make like a, an adult, like quote but, unquote but naughty yes. version. But yes, cards by that point, humanity. it's been it's far too late. Apples apples, you lost. Um, Good car- day, sir. Yeah, Cards Against Humanity um, instead of adjectives usually have like a sentence structure mm-hmm. of some kind, a fill in the blank. And then you have once again a hand of nouns, um, and and it's the same style. There's a judge, and you know someone has to. Yeah. There's voting and this and that. But it definitely took the raunchy, the implied raunchiness of apples to apples, and turned it up to eleven. Right. In many cases. Yeah, I mean we're talking like some of the cards are just wildly inappropriate. <laughs> um, some of them are just hilarious. Some of them are in between. One of the cards that stick out in my mind that's sort of like in between wildly inappropriate and it's kind of hilarious is um, one of the nouns are the 10 gay warlocks who decide what fashion is. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was just funny. it was just very funny. Like, you know, there's like a lot of stuff um, that are raunchy and inappropriate. And so that's what makes car- like Cards Against Humanity definitely owes its whole structure to the apples to apples um, predecessor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, a definitely, a, it could be a very fun game to play with a lot of people. Oh yeah. Uh, especially when people... I've never not been laughing hysterically <laughs> during that game. Um, but uh, once again, it's also a very subjective game, uh, where you do same in line with apples to apples. You have to know your judge. Gotta know them. Uh, especially if you want to win. Uh, most of the time there's like people set like, a a goal, but sometimes you're just like play until we're bored and you know. Yep, and just keep going, keep going. Uh, you you know, there's ugh, so many expansions out now. Um, I know Dave has like uh, a long box full, the of, bigger blacker box, the bigger blacker box. Um, Which, by the way, does in fact have a hidden card inside the packaging <laughs> of the box. Which is which was hilarious. Which I didn't know. I saw it on the internet. Someone was like, "There's a card inside of your of your box. Like you have to actually slice open." A piece of like, there's like there's like an extra layer to the bottom of the box that you just think is just paper layer, which you don't realize is that you have to be careful because you don't want to ruin your box. But if you slice open that paper layer, there is a card, a special card underneath, which is which is hilarious. Um, cards against humanity can be a little controversial. Um, Actually, I mean, this is kind of depressing. I'm not going to get into it on our podcast because I don't want to. Fair enough. But. Um, Part of the reason why I think that game is controversial is not even necessarily the cards themselves. Mm-hmm. It's the creator. Mm. Um, I'm not going to go into the podcast, but if you're interested in this, uh, there will be links in our show notes. And the creator of Cards Against Humanity has reportedly um, not been such a great person. So mm. I know people, I have friends who have boycotted this game mm-hmm. and you know all the power to them um, because of this fact, because of 
the possible crime of or crimes of this person yes. who created the game. Which is a shame because I enjoy the game a lot and I know the idea of boycotting it is not to provide more money for said individual. Yeah. But at the same time, like, do I really let this person ruin what is mm-hmm. giving such pleasure to me and my friends? I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. I was actually referring more to... Uh... The fact that people don't like how how uh, insensitive it can be in certain cases. It can be very. Listen, I mean, here's the thing. It's like watching stand up comedy. If you ever watch a stand up comedian make a joke, they're unapologetic in the jokes that they make mm-hmm. because you have to be. Yes. Because when you're doing comedy, you can't pull punches. If you you know, sometimes it's very shocking, but you can't really pull punches. That's just how comedy. That's like the rules of comedy. Yes. Cards Against Humanity is definitely the mm-hmm. prime example of that. Like it is, there are a lot of times where you just have to realize, like the game is called Cards Against Humanity. Indeed, not it's not meant- cards happy holding hands with humanity. <laughs> it's no apples to apples. It's not so. <laughs> so like there may be some very racist, derogatory, mm-hmm. um, sexist, yeah, things that come out in the game. And that doesn't necessarily reflect the true opinions of the people playing. No. You just have to realize that everybody's everybody when they play Cards Against Humanity, you have to be in the same boat of everything that's put down here is put down for fun. Mm-hmm. It's because we're trying to be raunchy and crazy and wild. And this is comedy for comedy's sake. This is not us bashing any particular group. Mm-hmm. This is not us um, being racists or being prejudiced. Mm-hmm. This is just us doing comedy for comedy's sake. Mm. Like it doesn't necessarily reflect our, our true views or values. Indeed. Um so all in all, review, uh rate how would you rate it? Anytime, I mean I'll just say it. Dick fingers. <laughs> <laughs> well said. That that Dick Fingers. That card. <laughs> that is a card in cards against humanity. <laughs> Dick fingers. I'm going to keep saying it because every time I do, I laugh. That is like the funniest card, and I think it wins most of the time. Mm. Um, any game that has a card that says dick fingers <laughs> is a is a game for me. Because mm. um, that, I just, that, the mental image, the, just everything about it just is just funny. And I just, oh, I love it. Also, I should mention, they have like do-it-yourself do cards, like blank cards oh, that you yes. can write on. So Jengis is, his full name is part of our own little homebrew of Cards Against Humanity, <laughs> um, which is fantastic. But yes. Um, yeah. So all in all. Cool. Oh, two thumbs up. Yeah. That's where I was going with it. <laughs> two, two dick fingers up. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> all right. So that'll do it for our podcast. <laughs> on that note... <laughs> How, what about you? How many? How many <laughs> dick fingers? Um, I'll be honest. I'm a little. Uh, I, I don't know. My my opinion's changing. Um, eh, for the better, or for the worse. For the worse. Really? Yeah. Then we're um, not done with this. I would love to know why. Uh, just like I feel like um, the allure has worn off on you. Yeah, I feel like there are better games, more interesting games. You and I are. That's you can't look at that opinion. You can't trust it's your not, own opinion. It's not so much that. It's just like, I guess, like you said, the allure. Um, at this point, you know, I, I wouldn't call it stale per se, mm-hmm. but like, the gimmick isn't as fresh as it was when it first came out. Yes, yes. fair enough. Yeah, but I was gonna say 
you cannot trust us when we say that there are better games out there because like yeah, when I don't we, wanna, give, I don't when we give our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, we're not doing this These in are, comparison are, yeah. to other games. We're doing this as the game itself. Yes. Because in comparison to other games, I mean, I can tell you right now that we've reviewed games on here. Like, I love Mage Knight much yeah. more than I'll ever love Cards Against Humanity. <laughs> um, Jengis loves Agricola yeah. much more than he'll ever love Cards Against Humanity. So we, are, we as board game fanatics yes. are a poor judgment when doing comparisons. Yes. But as far as the game itself... Judging it on the game itself, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, I would honestly, I would be like, like middle line, not down, not up, but like middle line right no. now. Yeah. So like one dick finger up, one dick <laughs> finger down. <laughs> A limp See? dick finger. <laughs> See what I mean? We're not even playing the game, and we're laughing at jokes of the game. It's because we're children, David. <laughs> we, we are, I believe we are called man childs. Yes. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for <laughs> this month's You Shall Not Pass Go. Indeed. Once again, uh, please leave. Oh, you know what? Before I exit out, I'm just going to check. We say this all the time, but I'm actually going to check and chastise everybody right now. <laughs> Did anybody leave a comment on our last? Because I would love uh, some comments. I would like to point out, um, if you can't find our podcast in your favorite app, uh, try looking it up with the like try looking up geekade because i know in some apps it's geekade hyphen you shall not pass go uh, i know on like uh the one i use um what call it i forget the name of that but itself but like uh, pocket cast and pocket cast it's geekade you shall not pass go um i know we we are on itunes we are on itunes we're on android we're in most podcast apps if it if it pulls from iTunes, we're there. Right. Uh, you just have to kind of be a little specific about where you find it. But Granted, that's a weird. That's a weird. I think it's just the way we're listed. I, I was just going to say that's a weird thing to say to people in the podcast because if they can't find it, they're not going to. Well, hear some this people are listening to it on the website. I guess that's true. Because I was going to say you could yeah. always listen to it on the website. You can listen to it on the website. But, um, but like, anyway, I'm looking on the website right now. Absolutely no comments. <laughs> very very upset. So please. Please leave us comments about us, this episode. Let us know what you think about Past any episodes. of the things we've talked about. Um, and we'd love to we love to address it. We'll even give you a shout out if you want. Indeed. Alright, so thank you so much. Indeed. See you next month, everybody, and yeah. have a good day. Take care.